Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Author Paul Sturm is here today to talk with us about three of his books, My Favorite Girlfriend, Golfing Adventures with Frankie the Witty Caddy, and More Golfing Adventures with Frankie the Witty Caddy. My Favorite Girlfriend is a blended coming-of-age story, romance, and sports memoir. It's a throwback to simpler times and a reminder to enjoy every moment of our lives with a message that just might inspire readers to rise above any challenge and take a chance with that girl, try out for the basketball team, or anything else that might take you outside your comfort zone to realize your dreams. Sturm's Golfing Adventures series are told from the perspective of 14-year-old Frankie, a witty caddy whose hilarious words and outrageous antics provide golfers with some unique experiences during their game. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on the author. Paul Sturm actually started writing poems as a teenager attempting to impress young ladies, though to no avail except for a smile or two. Many years later, the author worked in a high-pressure career, prompting him to escape by reading and writing for the fun of it. The author's amusing sense of humor provided the perfect backdrop for his hilarious books. Paul has a B.S. from the College of William and Mary, an M.B.A. from the University of South Florida, and is a certified public accountant. Paul Sturm is married and has three children and three grandchildren and lives just outside Washington, D.C. in a Virginia suburb. You can learn more about Paul Sturm and his work at paulsturmauthor.com. Well, hi, Paul. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. And we have a lot to talk about today. So let's start with My Favorite Girlfriend. What is this story all about? My Favorite Girlfriend is a humorous, heartwarming, romantic comedy about how a scrawny, funny-looking kid, me, growing up, uh, was looking for the girl of his dreams and with very little success. Oh, no. I was able to date a number of women who never thought of me as the guy of their dreams, but I was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) And they really enjoyed being with me, but they were always looking for somebody else, uh, quite frankly. But I had a great time. And and that's what I wrote about. It's a coming-of-age book. Uh, I wanted to focus on growing up in a place called Park Ridge, New Jersey, which is like Lake Wobegon. It's so beautiful and wonderful. Uh, All the guys are handsome and all the women are smart, you know, that type of thing, (laughs) and beautiful. So I wrote about that and also my time at College of William & Mary. And uh, I I describe all of those situations, including, for example, uh, when I first got to William & Mary, I was set up with perhaps the ugliest woman I ever saw. And I had trouble looking at her first, but she was so interesting that I was so enamored with her by the end of the date that I asked her out for another date and she rejected me. (laughs) She said I just wasn't her type. (laughs) So that's kind of what I experienced in high school and in college for a long time. Um, But it was great fun. Great fun. So now it reads kind of like a novel, but it's a memoir, in fact. That's right. It's uh, nonfiction. I focused on all these things that occurred during my life. I had a wonderful time in Park Ridge. 
not so great time at William Mary, to be honest with you. That was tougher. Though I met a friend of mine that I, I say in the book, like a brother to me, uh, introduced me to a number of different uh, young ladies up in Washington, D.C., for example, and other places. Uh, he was very handsome, had a lot of girlfriends, and he let me you know, have some of the girlfriends because I couldn't get the date on my own. And I had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, That was a great time up in D.C. with uh, Lizzie Peters as one of the girls, for example, and she was unbelievable. You have a lot of great stories in your book, for sure. And what I'm always impressed with, you mentioned your memory, and, and that's what impresses me most about memoir authors, because you have amazing recall. I can't remember anything. <laughs> Maybe that's selective. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but what was it like for you? Like, did you jot all these events down as you thought of them? Or did you just sit down and decide to write a book and it kind of just all came out? What was your process? It just all came out. What happened to me is I, uh, in 2001, I uh, was inducted into the Park Ridge High School Hall of Fame for my basketball exploits. Mm. And I got to uh, meet all of my friends and all the basketball players and all the friends, a lot of friends came to see me and others on the team inducted into the Hall of Fame. I was inducted personally. And I started to think, well, wouldn't it be fabulous to write about this? Because I think those kids and I name a lot of them in the, in the book, they would really enjoy that, I would think. And uh, it would resonate with them. But it also would resonate with other people because it's basically an inspiring book of never give up. Dreams do come true, but you have to keep going despite the rejections, despite the girls saying, I don't like you anymore, I don't want to be with you anymore, whatever it is. You know, keep going, find somebody else because there is somebody out there for everyone, I think. And it would inspire someone who's reading this, also make them laugh out loud at times at how outrageous my behavior was and uh, my lack of success and sometimes success. It was mm-hmm. a little bit of both, but uh, I would think that it would be inspirational to people. That's what got me started. I've had a lot of friends read the book and just tell me how much they loved it. I mean, it, the feedback has been fabulous from, from my friends. So did any of the friends that are in the book read it? Absolutely. I just spoke with one yesterday. Let's call him Jerry Stett, S-T-E-D-T. That is not his name. But he called me yesterday to see how I'm doing and said he's reading the book. And he said, Paul, you know, you, you didn't include that part where I was stealing uh, third base and I got caught out and Mr. Forty was within an inch of my, I said, Jerry, I did write that page 143 and I read it to him. He said, oh, good, you got it. It was <laughs> You have it there. So I've gotten a lot of that kind of feedback. Or how about Ellen Saw, who I uh, said at the senior night graduation party, you've never kissed me. And she was voted the most beautiful gal in our class. And she put her arms around me and kissed me this long, wonderful, amazing. I still remember it to this day. (laughs) Uh, So and I talked with her and she's just terrific. And she's read it and gave me some great feedback on it too. It's, it's just a lot of fun having all those friends calling me or writing to me. Joey Knight, I talked to him a week ago and he told me some great things too. It's been wonderful. Kenny Solarino is in the book. He's uh, the big guy who's, you know, a uh, great athlete and everything. And Jerry told me he was, Kenny is going to read it next. So he's excited about that. Oh, that's so this wonderful. Is fun for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's fun. Now, you know, you mentioned laugh out loud moments, and there are quite a few laugh out loud moments in this book. And Thank it kind of started 
for me in kindergarten with little Rosie. Can you tell us a little bit about that instance? Well, yes. You know, uh, I must say, I don't know about other guys, but I was immediately drawn to uh, women. I was so in love with the teacher there. There there was a student teacher, uh, Miss Podemsky. I still remember her name, and that is her real name. If she's still out there, she'll maybe notice it. But Miss Podemsky was just absolutely gorgeous. But little Rosie was uh, about five years old and in my class, and she was crawling around, and I saw her underwear. They were very colorful, and I complimented on her underwear. I thought that might be a way of getting to know her, but she didn't take too kindly to me looking at her underwear, and she punched me. (laughs) And the silly, dumb kid that I was, I didn't take to that very well, and I punched her back. (laughs) <laughs> and that started, a, you know, kind of a riot. Mr. Dembski took me aside, and I'd already been thinking what a wonderful punch I'd thrown when Ms. Dembski said, you need to go into the corner and start thinking about what you did. And I said to myself, geez, I've already thought about it. I thought I threw a pretty good punch. So that's <laughs> my thinking at the time, you know. It wasn't very favorable, if you will. But that's that started in kindergarten. Uh, yeah, I kind of felt like that experience kind of set the tone for your experiences with the opposite sex. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. But there's one more, more important thing in that first chapter with uh, Miss Reese, I call her. That's not her real name. I called her a different name because I didn't want to embarrass her family. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she was that ogre of a teacher who hated me and yelled at me and treated me poorly. And one day I had to be walked home because I had sores around my mouth. And I thought Miss Podemsky was going to walk with me. I was so excited. Instead, it was Miss Reese who walked with me. And I was saying, oh, my goodness. But on the way home, she was nice to me, and I was nice to her. And I thought to myself, and in that chapter I, I end with, I really started to see that personality matters in a woman. It's not just looks. Mm. It's personality, too. And I started to like Miss Reese when, in fact, it seemed that I didn't like her at all. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, nice. So in continuing the conversation around humor, I know... Uh, that's just one example, and humor plays a big part throughout. Did you find it challenging to incorporate the humor into your writing? Not at all. When I made speeches in business, for example, I'd always bring humor into it. One time I was talking to a crowd, and I was speaking about a technical subject, and then I said, just out of immediate, I said, you know, does anybody understand what I'm talking about? Could you explain it to me? Because I'm not that technical, actually. You know, and the, the crowd started to laugh and roar. So I, uh, I had no problem writing this book and remembering uh, instances that were very humorous. I mean, I talk about uh, dancing with Mary Larson in sixth grade, my first color dance. And I had been out in the woods, so I had poison ivy on my face. And uh, she came to me to ask me to dance. No one else had done that. I was uh, by myself all night long, but the last dance. And I immediately looked at her because of my poison ivy and said, but I have such a hideous face. Why would you want to dance with me? You know, stuff like that happened to me. Or, you know, with Vicky Corral, my first big move, moving my arm around her, that was a big move. And then I ran into my hand, ran into all those Coke bottles and knocked them all over the ground. And pretty soon Vicky, you know, got up and left. And so left me you know, sitting there. And that was kind of outrageous. Or Lizzie Peters, who was Cal's 
girlfriend, uh, I went to have Thanksgiving dinner with her and her family. That was very nice of them to invite me. And she brings me into her bedroom and says, We're, you're sleeping in my bedroom. I was on the floor, but it's so cold. She said, are you cold? And she said, come on up here. So I slept with her. And unfortunately, her parents came in the morning and were outraged. Oh, my gosh. That actually occurred. And I said to her, to Lizzie, after they left, I said, boy, that went well. <laughs> but it really didn't go that well. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you're alive to tell about it. So that's good. <laughs> Oh, and then uh, how can I forget Ann Mason, really, gal I fell in love with, and she was really something, going to the cemetery at night, and the car wouldn't start. We thought people were coming after us. We were going to die. And then her idea to drive into an empty uh, garage uh, on our way home and start having an argument until the people who owned the place came out to find out what was going on. We thought that would be really cool with someone we didn't know. Unfortunately, it was someone that she knew. Oh and, no! And we had gone into the wrong house. It was she was tremendous acting ability that night, making you look like I was a, a horrendous person. It was really pretty funny as we <laughs> drove away. I told her when we left. I said we should do this again, but let's pick somebody that we don't know. What do you think? Exactly. You exactly. Know? Now you have so many stories. Did you leave yeah. any out? When you started writing and you got all this stuff down, did you realize, oh, wow, I've got too much information? Or how did that work well, out? Well, I hadn't thought of that as a point of view. But, you know, it's funny. I should tell you that I wrote another book before I did the memoir. Uh, it was tentatively titled Going Home Again with a Coconut-Headed Kid. That title, The Coconut-Headed Kid, comes from when I was caddying on the fourth hole at Riverville Country Club. Uh, it runs right by the highway. And these four kids in a convertible stopped, looked at the golf course and said, hey, coconut head. And I was the only one around. It wasn't until then that I knew that I was coconut headed. I had no idea. And it wasn't a very beneficial statement. I got to <laughs> tell you that I could have uh, talked about that, but I decided to just stick with the story as I had it. Well, yeah, so the golf adventures weren't really a planned part of your memoir. Well, yeah, I was thinking of doing the coming-of-age type story, and this was the reason why. Number one, I didn't think people would like to have it extended any further. And number two, I have in the back of my mind writing about my business career, which mm. happened later. I've thought about that. I, again, tremendously outrageous, crazy things happened to me in business. It was wonderful exciting, adventurous, and hilarious. <laughs> I'll give you one example. I was in Malaysia, and I went to uh, a club that night. They got me out finally. I'm not a very social guy sometimes uh, at work, but they got me out to go to this place, and all these beautiful women started dancing with me and wanting to dance with me, and I was, you know, it was really fun. So the next day, I'm negotiating with the customer, and I make this proclamation. I said, I am handsome. I've become handsome. And the leader of the other side said, how do you know? I said, all these women from this club wanted to dance with me last night. I'm better looking than I think I am. And he said, no, you're not. Those were all working girls. I said, what? I didn't know that. But, you know, that's, that's very typical of what happened to me in my career. Just funny things like that all the time. So I was going to write about that at some point. So I kept it coming the... Um, my favorite girl, to my coming of age time frame. Yeah, 
That's smart because you got to stop somewhere or else you could keep writing, I mean, forever. Yeah. I'm curious, what does your actual favorite girlfriend think about all your shenanigans? Well, I would tell you she loves them. She, <laughs> she is the only, she's the only woman in my life, seriously, that ever told me she loved me. And she loves my crazy, adventurous, spirited desire to go and do something. She calls me the idea man. And <laughs> a lot of my ideas really are terrible. But some of them are really cool, she said. And she loves all the shenanigans. She is a bibliophile. She's really very, very bright. She read my books and edited them. I make a comment one time to somebody, she's the best and cheapest editor I've ever had. <laughs> She really loved the book, and the shenanigans are still happening. How, how can I say that? Yeah. Well, that's nice, yeah. What is it that you hope readers take away from reading My Favorite Girlfriend? Well, my hope in writing this was to create a smile. I want people to realize that no matter what is going on in their life, never give up. I wanted it to be like an inspiration. I wanted it to be hilarious, funny, but also an inspiration to people that uh, they should never give up because you just keep following your dream and it will come true if you keep going. And uh, I think it was that kind of concept. Plus the fact I wanted my friends back home to uh, reminisce with me, mm. to uh, go back in time and be kids again in a manner by discussing all the, the things that went on. So it was a combination of those things. I would like readers who don't know me or don't know anything about Park Ridge High School or William & Mary or anything like that to come away with a smile and make them happy each day that they read a bit about it. I had a neighbor came over to me and said, it was just a wonderful story. I loved every bit of it. And uh, thanks for writing it. And that was just absolutely marvelous for me. Absolutely. It's an inspirational story, and the timing of it with the world that we're living in right now it is perfect. You know, for readers of a certain age and a little younger, I mean, it's it's kind of a throwback to simpler times. Now, maybe today's kids won't get that, but I think if kids today were to read that book, they'd be like, wow, y'all had a lot of fun back then, you know? <laughs> right. And I totally agree with you. That's exactly what I was trying to accomplish. And to the extent that I have, makes me so happy. I get so thrilled and happy when I see a review from somebody that really liked it. I haven't had any bad reviews I can think of, but it's kind of, as I said, something that makes you feel good and makes you laugh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, you've also written a couple of novellas. Can you share a little bit about those books with us? And we have Golfing Adventures with Frankie the Witty Caddy and more Golfing Adventures with Frankie the Witty Caddy. Yes. Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I initially wrote a book called Going Home Again with the Coconut-Headed Kid. And a lot of the stories that I wrote in uh, Golfing Adventures with Frankie the Witty Caddy and more Golfing Adventures come from that book. They're actually, it's a fiction book, but it actually, uh, many of those stories were actually true. For example, in uh, Golfing Adventures with Frankie the Witty Caddy, there really is a fellow by the name of a Bob and he played with a foursome that were just horrible golfers. <laughs> and by the way, I am Frankie. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm Frankie. And I had a big mouth, and I was always spouting off about something. And I gave them a, a really hard time 
in a manner, in a very humorous manner, uh, throughout the book. For example, when Bob couldn't uh, get his ball on the fairway, I complimented him, saying uh, very few people can keep the ball off the fairway the entire time. We can go, Bob. <laughs> You know, and he didn't think that was particularly funny. Or I guess, I, actually, I think he did. He was a really nice fellow uh, throughout that scenario, uh, especially in the fifth hole when he was going from side to side to side with his shots and he was getting angrier and angrier. <laughs> and then I, in, my, in the book, I helped him. And I, I did tell how I helped him. It was kind of an outrageous uh, scenario. Yeah. But the book does come from real life. I really did caddy for uh, Bob and uh, the Lance brothers. It's not their name. Teddy and Bernie. That's where their first names were. By the way, I tried to get in touch with them. Uh, they didn't return my call just to tell them I wrote about them. And uh, they were outrageous, particularly Bernie, who had this uh, plastic golf club that he kept swinging. I was stunned that he was playing with it. He was a, kind of a weird guy. He also had something I didn't tell you in the book. He had a golf club that he would unscrew and drink uh, whiskey from. I didn't put that in the book. Oh. I didn't think that was appropriate for children. But that, <laughs> he used to drink, drink from his golf club occasionally, and that was kind of fun. And that story about uh, Ozzy and myself, I was lying down waiting for balls to be hit, and Ozzy saying, it's just about ready to hit you right here. Uh, The ball, I had my eyes closed, and it nearly hit me. Uh, That actually occurred. Ozzy was the greatest guy I could have ever imagined being my caddy partner. He was uh, absolutely wonderful. So he kind of showed you the ropes he did. He was caddying before me. Uh, a year or two later, he got his 55 Chevy so we could drive. Mm. I never wrote about that, but we could drive to work when we got steadies. Well, when we got steadies, uh, uh, the Lance brothers were steadies of ours, both Ozzy and myself, and we called them the Black Doctors on Sunday. Didn't write about that yet. I could do that some other time. Mm. And the Black Doctors would invite Jackie Robinson, Frederick uh, Morrow, these are really famous, but Jackie Robinson, of course, was a baseball player, and I caddied for him a number of times. I always tried mm. to get a relationship with Jackie. I, I was always trying to uh, make him uh, laugh and telling him stories or, you know, uh, all kinds of things. A lot of times he would chuckle. He would never talk to me, but he would always chuckle at something <laughs> I was trying to to do with him. So I, I didn't get the relationship with him that I would have wanted, but uh, I think he liked me. I yeah. mean, I could tell that he had a fondness for me in a very quiet way. By the way, he was a fabulous golfer. Oh, wow. Absolutely fabulous golfer. Yeah. Nice. Compared to all the others who were terrible. Most <laughs> of them were terrible. I know your book, in both books, you cover several different golf outings. And yes. they all sounded like horrible golfers, which... <laughs> well, the, Bob and his, and his uh, players were so bad that one time one of them was behind a tree and asked me what he should do. And I said, just aim for the tree, knowing how you hit. You'll never hit that tree. And he didn't. He put, when he missed the, the tree and got close to the green, he put his arm around me and said, you know, you're right. You're a wise ass, but you're really right. It was kind of funny. And the Lance brothers were actually, they were frumpy, funny-looking, really rich uh, construction guys that really weren't that bad. They were pretty mm. good, by the way. But it was hilarious playing for them because they were always losing a ball and not wanting to take a penalty stroke and an animal stole it and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. It was pretty fun. One time, Ozzy and I were barking like dogs to make it look like his ball was stolen, you know. 
Uh, yeah. That was kind of funny. Yeah. Let's not forget the ugly caddy contest when Teddy thought I was his caddy because I was uglier than Ozzy was. And then we got into an argument who was uglier, Ozzy or myself. That was pretty funny. That's funny. That's funny. Now, Frankie is a 14-year-old when he started. Tell us a little bit about what motivated Frankie to go out and caddy because that wasn't his first money-making excursion. Not at all. Frankie, myself, I wanted to be a garbage collector. I know that's crazy, but (laughs) when I was 14 years old, there was an opening. Uh, The local guy, Phil, I call him Ibella. That was not his name. But Phil Ibella was the head of the garbage collecting company in the town. And I applied for the job. He went to my father and said, you know, Frankie, Paul is not big enough. He can't handle that. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't give him the job. So I went out and, you know, listed two cans when he was coming with the truck to show him I was stronger than he thought he was. <laughs> and uh, it was funny because he said, oh, uh, you're really strong. Is there anything in those cans? I said, yeah, they're full, you know. <laughs> and, but he didn't give me the job. He gave, had already given it to somebody else. So I had no opportunity to make money except I did lawns. I did weeding or the Perez's bushes. They had uh, stickers in them and I was bleeding and the only nice thing was Mrs. Perez, who was English, would come out with tomatoes and, uh, and water for me. She was very sweet. But then Ozzy came down uh, riding his bike saying he just got back from caddying and he made all this money and it was a lot of fun and all this stuff. I, I begged him to take me with him, and he did. I, Ozzy was one of the greatest guys I ever knew. And he uh, said, sure, I'll take you. And we left the next Saturday, I think, at uh, 4.30 in the morning to get to the caddy shed earlier than anybody else because it's first come, first serve. Mm. It was an indication of my outrageousness, and not, and I, I, I'm not proud of it, but when the caddy master came and said, who was here first, I said, I was. It was really Ozzy and myself. And then I realized, no, it was Ozzy and me, and uh, I felt bad, you know. But did Ozzy get angry or anything? No. He just, that's wonderful. If you want to get out first, that's your prerogative to do that. He was just a really nice guy. He was much nicer than I could ever be. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I love that story. Uh, we could be talking about a very different set of books right now if you'd gone into sanitation. <laughs> yes, that would have been something. The fellow who got the job stayed there for uh, many, many years and did very well. Mm. I know he, uh, he invested in some real estate at the direction of Ibella. And uh, they did very well together, as far as I can recall. So nice. I might have made it a wonderful career. I wanted to be, a, I, I thought that was a great career for me at that time. Yeah. I, I did. Matter of fact, a lot of the work that I did in the, uh, you know, Fortune uh, 500 company that I worked for, a lot of it could be considered garbage collecting because I was cleaning up some trash a lot of times. Mm. <laughs> now, along with the hilarious efforts of the golfers and the caddies, readers will also pick up helpful tips and rules of the game. What made you decide to incorporate that into these books? You know, I can't say that I did that with the idea that it would be funny. It's not funny. What I wanted children and young adults and adults who read it, if they don't really know what golf uh, rules are, I wanted them to know what it was. I, I felt that was really important. Matter of fact, when I wrote my first book, they had changed the rule. It used to be that the caddy would pull the pin and then pull it out before the ball came. And that 
rule change occurred that you could hit the pen mm-hmm. and use it. So I made a change to the book. I went back to publish it. I said, this is a huge change. I need to change the book. Because I wanted people, young kids particularly, to know the rules of the game and maybe get interested in playing. That was my idea behind it. I even had one of my friends who's a real big golfer read it to see if there's anything I missed or did did I say anything wrong and all of that. Mm, Okay, that's great. Now, you mentioned a wide audience range for these books, but you geared it towards teens? Well, yes, it's viewed as fiction. And I thought to myself, the audience would be children, you know, uh, over five, perhaps, young adults. And a lot of adults have read uh, the books, too, and given me very nice reviews. Again, they're funny. Mm-hmm. They're outrageous, and they speak to having fun on the golf course. Mark Twain said it's a good walk ruined. You know, a lot of people have said bad things about golf or, you know, funny things about golf. But it's really a great game, and it's a great way to escape from the pressures of work or school or issues that you might have. It's a nice way to get away and reading my book and maybe even playing the game. So I was I was trying to accomplish a lot of things by writing those books. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned maybe there might be some more stories coming. Yeah. I mean, if I wrote another Frankie book, I would definitely consider Swearing Sarah. Swearing Sarah was a, a lady, and there were very few ladies in those days that played golf, but <laughs> I caddied for Swearing Sarah, and I have never forgotten her. I don't know if she's forgotten me, perhaps so, but i never forgotten her. I mean, here's a lady who called me a little, and she used the word starting with S when she saw me and said, there's no way you're going to be able to pick up my bag, you little scrawny S. <laughs> and I said, yes, I will. And I showed her. She said, well, all right, we'll give it a try, you know. So that's how it started. And she had a profane mouth. And one, you know, they didn't have bathrooms on the course. A lot of guys would go in behind the bushes and stuff. So she grabbed me by the collar, dragged me over. She says, I've got to go to the bathroom. Now turn around, she said to me. And then she said, if you turn around and look, it's the last thing you'll ever do. You hear me? (laughs) It was just incredible to be with her. She was so outrageous. And then when it was lunchtime, she brought me in to have lunch. She said she told all the fellas in the club that I was uh, I was abandoned by my parents left on the doorstep and she felt sorry for me so she took me in that's what she told everybody <laughs> sounds like you two were a good match actually <laughs> we were we were she hugged me when we were done I hugged her too and I've never forgotten her uh, and I actually wanted to uh, be with strong women that actually had something to say and I did end up marrying somebody who was uh, not profane but very good with the words and fun. That's great. Now, based on your experience, was there anything you wish you had known before you started actually writing your book? What surprised me the most was how hard it was uh, during the edit process and the marketing process has really surprised me. I honestly thought that writing the book was the hard part and it turned out to be the easy part. Mm -hmm. I loved writing it. I was in love with the words that I read each time I went back to read what I had written. It brought me right back to my childhood and the fun and the excitement and the wonder. But when I got into the editing process, that was really painful. The marketing process has been even more painful and difficult for me because I'm a novice in that area. I've never been in the marketing end of any 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in the accounting area, and I, I didn't do marketing. So it's been very difficult, and uh, I've had success, but it's been somewhat painful along the way with a lot of issues that have occurred that have bothered me on occasion. Yeah. Uh, so I would say that I was not prepared for that at all. I just didn't do enough research. Now I am. I'm doing a lot of research on it and doing better. Yeah. So based on your experience, is there any kind of advice you would give to aspiring authors? Yeah, I would say to anybody who wishes to write, if you enjoy writing and especially enjoy reading what you write, and especially if someone other than you that is not your relative enjoys what you write, (laughs) it's all worthwhile. It really makes everything so wonderful if you get feedback from people that say, I made a difference, I made them laugh, I gave some inspiration uh, to continue. Those kinds of things make it worthwhile. It was never about money. It was always about uh, having people enjoy the book and having fun with all the books, actually. Yeah, and I think that's the key, too. If you're writing to make money, that's hard, and you enjoy it, then that's half the battle. Well, the way I figured it, I had success as a kid, maybe not with girls. Uh, I had some success with girls, too, but that's my favorite girlfriend, the hilarity of my favorite girlfriend, the amusing situations there, and my lack of success and all. But I had success as a child, as a kid, and I had success in business. So this is really my third act, and I wanted to have some success in writing uh, as a retired person, and it's been a blast, actually. Yeah, it sounds like you are thoroughly enjoying the journey. I really am. It's a great third act. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Paul, is there anything else you wanted to add today? I've really thoroughly enjoyed writing, and I am continuing to write now. And it gives me an escape from the issues that you mentioned earlier uh, in the world today. It allows me some downtime, and and I read a lot too, but I'm doing a lot of writing, and it just makes me feel good. It makes me feel better uh, by escaping a bit, and it uh, has always been that uh, for me, and hopefully for other people who do some writing. Yeah. Oh, well, good. Well, perhaps we'll see some more published works from you in the future. I sure hope so. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today and and for sharing a little bit about you and your work. Great conversation. Fantastic. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Paul Sturm, author of My Favorite Girlfriend, Golfing Adventures with Frankie the Witty Caddy, and More Golfing Adventures with Frankie the Witty Caddy. To learn more about Paul and his works, visit his website at paulsturmauthor.com. And be sure to listen to our other interviews on InsideScoopLive.com.